And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. The goal horn means it's time to start another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Whether you are listening, maybe you're getting your podcast copy of The Pipeline Show from uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast from, or if you're listening along right now via Edmonton Sports Talk. Really glad that you were able to uh, tune in for this week's episode. It's a good one. And we'll get right to it. Uh, reminder, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Man, if you haven't had some delicious beef jerky in a while, maybe you've never had Wilhock before, do yourself a favor. Three Edmonton and area locations, Spruce Grove, Leduc, and the Kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. I guarantee it, it's the best beef jerky you've ever had. But if you're not in the local area, you can go to their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Place an order online, and they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada couple of news items for you, and then we'll get into scoring leaders from the leagues that we cover here on the Pipeline Show. First news item, well, let's do the CHL's top 10. No change at the top for the second week in a row. It's the Halifax Mooseheads leading the top 10. Prince George Cougars move up. So do the Portland Winterhawks. They are now 2-3. and three. The Rundaranda Huskies climb to number 4. Bay Camo is at 5 that's three teams from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in the top five. Saskatoon and Moose Jaw are six and seven. There's four teams in the top seven from the dub. The first OHL team comes in at number eight. It's the London Knights. Then you've got Moncton and the Kitchener Rangers holding down the number 10 spot for this week's CHL top 10. One pretty significant and uh, eyebrow-raising development in the Western Hockey League this week. The Victoria Royals fired head coach... Dan Price, and have replaced him with uh, James Patrick, who the last number of years he was the head coach with the Winnipeg Ice, but with that franchise being sold, relocated to Wenatchee, and they already basically having a staff in place, James Patrick ended up going to Victoria, and I don't remember what his exact position was. It might even have been sort of an informal advisory type of thing, uh, but he is now the head coach of the uh, Victoria Royals, and what's uh, a little surprising for me, when I look at that, is Victoria's not doing too bad. They started out pretty slow, but coming into this weekend, they are sixth in the Western Conference, and it's a very tight race. They're actually tied for fifth and only one point out of fourth, and currently only one team in the league is hotter, and that would be the Wenatchee Wild, who are riding an eight-game winning streak. Victoria's 7-2-0-1 in their last 10, and yet it cost Dan Price's job. 
I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised by the timing. Most people I talked with at the start of the season didn't expect much from Victoria. So, in my opinion, they've kind of exceeded my own personal expectations to this point. That's not to say that I think it's a mistake to have James Patrick as your head coach. I think he's a really good head coach. Just the timing seems kind of off. And I wonder if there's a story behind the scenes that we may or may not ever know about. That's the one news item out of the Western Hockey League I wanted to mention. I guess we can do the uh, leading scores while we're there. Leading the way now is uh, Jagger Furcus, who is up to 35 points in just 17 games. He's got 18 goals in those 17 games. Plays for the Musha Warriors, drafted by the Seattle Kraken. Uh, he's followed closely by Zach Funk with 33 points. Plays for Prince George. Kelowna Rockets forward Andrew Crystal has 31 points. Tarek Parasak and Andre Becker, both with Prince George, have 30 and 29 points, respectively. Top defenseman scoring is Graham Sward from uh, Wenatchee. He's got 28 points. He's right outside the top five in league scoring. Let's head over to the Ontario Hockey League, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this team. Uh, they're off to a really good start. The Kitchener Rangers have the top three scorers in the league right now. Carson Rakoff has 32 points. Matthew Sopp and Hunter Brustevich have 28 points. Then you have a couple of uh, members of the North Bay Battalion next with Anthony Romani and Dalen Wakeley. We'll get into the OHL a little bit with our first guest this week. In the queue, Justin Gill from Bay Como has the league's leading point total with uh, 31. Alex Blaze from Ramuski has 30 points. Antonin Varro of the Roy Noranda Huskies has 28. Jeremy Minville from Gatineau and Matthew Cataford of the Halifax Mooseheads have 26 points. So pretty balanced, actually, when you look at all three leagues together. Quick jump over to the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Top teams continue to play well. The Brooks Bandits now riding a four-game winning streak coming into the weekend. Black Falls won their last game, and the Sherwood Park Crusaders have won their last two games. Those three teams, the only teams who have at least 30 points. A couple of Black Falls Bulldog players leading the league in scoring in Brendan Ross and Edward Moskovitz. Interesting uh, note, Dakota McIntosh, who was with Black Falls, he was leading the HL in scoring. He's actually now with the Moose Jaw Warriors. We saw him here in Edmonton last week. Wasn't really impactful in that game. The Oil Kings ended up winning that game, as a matter of fact. But I think it's a good example of the, the difference between the Western Hockey League and Junior A in Canada. The Oil Kings had a player named Kean Bell who was on the team for a while. He led the SJHL in scoring last year with over 100 points. Well, he played eight games with the Oil Kings this year, had a single point. It was a goal, and I, if I remember correctly, it was on opening weekend. Might even have been on opening night. Anyway, the Oil Kings released him. He's back in uh, Battlefords now with uh, the North Stars in the SJHL. He's played five games. He's got 18 points. So here's a guy who dominated that league last year. Only had one point in eight games with the Oil Kings, was released, didn't get picked up by anybody else in the dub, now back in the SJHL and destroying the league once again. It is a significant step up from Junior A to the Western Hockey League. Down south in the USHL, your leading scorer is Eric Paulson. He's a Swede playing for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. He's got 21 points in 14 games. Matt Vagreden, a Russian who is playing for the Muskegon Lumberjacks, he's got 20 points. Of note, he was actually tentatively supposed to join me this week. He's draft eligible, uh, but the uh, Lumberjacks asked me to just hold off on that for a while. They just want to make sure that uh, they uh, work with him and 
his command of the English language. We'll give it a little time and no problem with that. We'll get back to him before the end of the season, before the draft for sure. Also ripping it up in the USHL to start with is uh, Trevor Connolly from Tri-City, Zamplant of Fargo. They have 19 and 18 points respectively, and then there's a uh, trio of players with 17 points. Meanwhile, in the North American Hockey League, big change in uh, the scoring leaders. There are a couple of Canadians who are off to really great starts. They've actually tumbled down the scoring race significantly. Matteo Discipio and Massimo Gentile from uh, Rochester, both of them. Gentile has slipped out of the top 10. Matteo Discipio is actually tied for ninth right now in scoring. Max Martin has taken over the uh, scoring race in the Nall. Plays for the Wisconsin Windigo. 34 points in just 19 games. The Swede, you've heard me mention a few times, he's playing for the Northeast Generals. His name is Sixten Yanersho, has 31 points in 20 games. Only three goals, so obviously a setup guy there. Oh, one note uh, about the USHL, not really the USHL, but the World Junior A Challenge, uh, the head coach for Team USA was announced uh, earlier this week, and it's going to be uh, Matt Swaby, who is the head coach of the Waterloo Blackhawks. He will be uh, the bench boss for Team USA. The World Junior A Challenge goes in mid-December in Nova Scotia. Canada has two teams at that event. The East team will be Billy McGeegan, who is uh, there again this year as the head coach for Team East. And Team West will be run by uh, Scott Barney, who is the coach for the Humboldt Broncos out of the SJ. Do the top 20 in the NCAA as well. Boston College is holding down the number one spot, but far from unanimous. They got 30 first-place votes. Interestingly, the third-ranked team, Wisconsin, got 12 first-place votes. But in between, you've got the Denver Pioneers, who earned five first-place votes. Not sure how the pecking order has Denver as the number two team, with Wisconsin number three, despite getting more first-place votes. Interesting. North Dakota is four. Then you've got Providence, Minnesota, Cornell, Michigan, Boston University. Quinnipiac comes in at number 10. The Michigan State Spartans, Western Michigan. Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Arizona State are followed by Penn State, Minnesota Duluth, Ohio State, and RIT, that would be the Rochester Institute of Technology, the Tigers, are 20th. Leading scorer in college hockey right now, a Canadian, Massimo Rizzo, draft pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's got 17 points in eight games, playing for the University of Denver. His teammate is Jack Devine, has 16 points. He is a Florida Panthers draft pick. Four players from the University of Michigan are next. Rutger McGrory has 16, and Gavin Brindley, TJ Hughes, who played in the AJHL, and Seamus Casey, all with 15 points. Hey, I got a really good show for you, so I want to get to the guest list. All my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Go to troubledmonk.com shop, see what Troubled Monk has in stock right now, place an order online, then go to the tap room in Red Deer or the Farmer's Market in Calgary or Edmonton, and pick up your order. You can always go to your local liquor store, and if they don't have Troubled Monk in stock for you, request that they bring it in. Here's the four guests that I have for you this week. We'll begin with that stop in the OHL, looking at the Kitchener Rangers. The play-by-play voice on radio is Mike Farwell. You've heard him here on the program before. Fantastic guest, and we focus a lot on the Rangers, but also we'll go around other areas of the OHL as well and see what's happening there from Mike's perspective. Then it's off to the BCHL, and really interesting to see how that league is uh, looking on the ice, as it's the first one where they're completely independent, unsanctioned now by Hockey Canada, bit of a renegade league, 
Well, how does it look on the ice? Is it different? Can people notice a difference? Brian Weeb from BCHL Network will join us, and he'll tell us. Then I mentioned those Wisconsin Badgers. They are the talk of college hockey right now. Todd Maluski covers them for USCHO. He's going to be my guest to look at the Badgers and the rest of the Big Ten Conference. And you know I like to get players who are eligible for the next NHL draft, and we will do that to close out the show this week. Carson Wetch of the Calgary Hitmen. Really fun conversation I had with him. The Hitmen and the Edmonton Oil Kings having a home-at-home this weekend, Friday night in Calgary, Saturday, the rubber match in Edmonton. Loaded show for you. We will begin with Mike Farwell, the voice of the Kitchener Rangers. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Matt Potra from the Guelph Storm. Potra dangles and scores! Matt Potra! Wow! Spectacular spin move out of the corner and pots it! And this is the Pipeline Show. Done. Buddy, want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky, because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Want to go, pretty boy? We are back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to begin this week's episode. I couldn't think of a better guest to start things off than the longtime voice of the Kitchener Rangers. And I say that now, Mike, and I don't know how long it's been actually, but Mike Farwell, the uh, voice of the Rangers, joins me now. When did you take over the microphone? Oh, my goodness. You know, as soon as you started into this, I knew you were going to ask me that. Here's the thing Gee, I can tell you this. My colleague and good friend in Kingston with the front next, yes. Jimmy Cookie Gilchrist, just did his 3,000th game Amazing. this past weekend. 3,000 games. Yeah, it's incredible. He goes back to the uh, early 80s when he started with Oshawa. Anyway, uh, for me, I, I'm really bad at record keeping. Jimmy is awesome at it. I think I started in Kitchener. I'm pretty sure it was around the it was the 04-05 season, the year after the Rangers uh, won the Memorial Cup, I came and, and joined the team in Kitchener after having been in Guelph before that. So I think overall, it's like year 20, 21 or 22. I Like, honestly, I'm so bad at this. But, you, I mean, you started out as the – you were doing color for the longest time and then took over the, the play-by-play job, I'm going to guess, what, seven, eight, nine years ago? Yeah, yeah. so that I can I can really help with because, see, I, I did color on the radio with the legendary Don Cameron who yes. did – more than 4,000 games in the OHL. But prior to joining Don on the radio, I was doing play-by-play on TV. So it just, I'm, a, I'm just an enigma wrapped in a mystery, buddy. That's all I am. <laughs> oh, well, hey, you've been around the league for a long time. You've seen lots of import players. Have you seen an import coach before? I don't remember one, but uh, you're a lot closer to it than I am. And the answer would be no. There was uh, Peter Sidorkowitz as an assistant coach back in the day, but that was as close as we got to anybody with European ties behind a bench, as far as I remember, in the Ontario Hockey League. So this was absolutely a first from where I've been sitting for more than 20 years now, and 
the results certainly have looked very good for the Kitchener Rangers so far. Well, and that's what we're talking about for the listener who might not be uh, one who might be wondering exactly what we're getting to. The the Rangers really thinking outside the box, and I like this idea a lot because what do you got to lose? And instead of the, the carousel of coaches that seems to go around a lot of times, and we see guys just taking on their fourth or fifth job at the junior level. They, they really went outside the market, didn't they, going all the way to Finland to find their head coach? Yep, they certainly did. And I'm with you. I really like the boldness in the move by the Kitchener Rangers, especially after they went with somebody who you might call more traditional, longtime uh, coach, with video coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs, an assistant coach in the American Hockey League, I could go on and on, but one of those more familiar North American names. And, and in fairness, I also heard from some folks who said, you know, we don't love this because there are a lot of good coaches in Canada. And I don't have, there's no doubt that there are. Mm-hmm. I can look down into the Maritimes and pluck out a bunch of them for you. But the Kitchener Rangers did decide to go in a completely different direction. UC Ahokas comes over from Finland. He was coaching pro over there, also had success with the uh, Finland team Finland at the World Juniors. So knows players at this level. And not only did he come over, but the Rangers changed everybody else behind the bench as well. So they also hired Brad Flynn, who's the son of Danny Flynn, who coached with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds during the Memorial Cup way back in the 90s. Uh, Terrific success down east as well uh, at the university level and now a scout with Columbus. And then Jeff Kurzakis, who had been an associate coach and assistant general manager in Mississauga the past seven years. With the Steelheads, he comes over and joins the Rangers bench with UC Ahokas. And you look at this Rangers team, which is supposed to be in the very beginning of a rebuild, and it's hard to credit much beyond the the brand new approach behind the bench. Like it just feels different around the team. And I think this team, off to an eleven five and five start and tied for tops in the entire Ontario Hockey League at this point, I think they're just really responding to what these coaches have brought to the organization. Yeah, it's obviously working. I wonder from your perspective, as a guy who's been around junior hockey for a long time, are you seeing any sort of little wrinkles with, uh, I don't know if it's just the X's and O's on the ice, but the way that the the coaching staff is kind of designing systems where you're thinking, oh, this is kind of new for the OHL. I've never seen this before. And that you can credit to, well, a a European influence uh, to the game. I don't know that I would credit it specifically to that European influence, but I am definitely noticing a difference in the way this team plays. It, the, the breakouts especially are really impressive because the team almost always, and you know, we love junior hockey because of the mistakes that get made and that's yes. what makes it entertaining, but they are so, so thoroughly prepared and that first pass out of the zone is rarely a long stretch pass. It's the shortest pass you can make, and the support is there for the puck. And the next thing you know, it goes from a D to a forward, and you're up the ice. And and so those little things, again, I think anybody could design it, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a European thing. The one thing I will say that has struck me is there's still just the smallest bit, I would say, of a, a language or cultural barrier, but... What impresses me is you see Ahokas as the head coach. Clearly, he, he talks the language of hockey. And then these guys are understanding it very well. But I've described him, as I get to know him too, as somebody who is a hockey coach first and foremost. And he doesn't care about your feelings. 
He is here to coach hockey, and he, the, him coaching hockey means the team is supposed to win games, and that is the number one order of business for UC Hocus. Really, with the success here, and it's uh, let's say it's it's still early in the in the CHL season, but do you think this opens the doors for other teams maybe to a, to consider that option to look outside of North America for a coach? I can't imagine that it wouldn't open up those opportunities again, given the success. Now, it's still everybody talks about how early it is, but in fairness, at eleven and five to start the season, the Rangers are one game away from the quarter pole this season. So you're, you're almost, you know, to quote the famous Yogi Berra, it gets late early around here. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to feel like it's getting a little bit later. So, yeah, limited returns, still one quarter of one season in the Ontario Hockey League. But, again, just to consider where this team was at in its cycle. It was 10 brand-new faces, you know, four high draft picks that are all on the ice playing with the team this year it's supposed to basically be starting from scratch and most people myself included had the rangers as a bubble team for the playoffs this year and again even though it's only one quarter of the way in not only are they nowhere near the bubble they're leading the ontario hockey league it's it's been really impressive yeah first place uh, in terms of points uh what second place i think with winning percentage but obviously that's splitting hairs uh, but the Rangers' top three scorers in the league are all Kitchener Rangers as well. Carson Raykop, who was a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, second-round pick of the Seattle Kraken, and Hunter Brustevich, who's having a fantastic year. A Vancouver Canucks uh, draftee uh, this past draft as well. Defenseman, who's got 27 points in 16 games. And maybe we'll start with him, because this is a big resurgence. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a lot of hype around Brustevich, especially when he first uh, announced he was leaving in uh, the program and uh, detouring from the NCAA route and coming up north. Uh, and then I know last year wasn't exactly maybe the the one that he expected. Perhaps there were some circumstances involved in that, but this is a huge rebound hit for him. And this is a terrific performance from Hunter Brustevich. And I found uh, the parallel is kind of interesting. And I teased him a little bit about not liking the first game of the season, because when he came in last year as a rookie, no points in his first game, and then he went on a 10-game point streak, picked up 13 assists over those 10 games. This year, no points in game one, and then went on a 14-game point streak where he amassed, I think, 25 or 26 of his points. And no, in fact, the streak just ended. So, pardon me, he would have been 15-game point streak and picked up all 27 of those points. So it was, you know, it's great to see him from the first game of the season where for whatever reason, the points don't come, and then he just gets on this roll. But what's been different about him this year, Guy, and and I just talked to him about it this past weekend, he he has shown us a shot that I didn't know that he had, and maybe he didn't have it last year. He talked about the work that he put in during this offseason to improve that shot, and it absolutely shows. He also gets number one power play time so that helps and there are so many weapons one of them you already mentioned in Carson Rakoff so he can sit at the top of the zone and just distribute any which direction and he's got somebody that's going to do something pretty impressive with the puck so it's been great for him but he has absolutely earned every accolade and all the attention he's getting this year I had Brustevich on the show last year I didn't get to Carson Rakoff who by all accounts I mean he's having a terrific season Uh, and I know last year it was a good year for him as well I didn't get to know him uh, through the show, though. What can you tell me about him? Give me a, a bit of a scouting report on on uh, Carson Rakoff. 
Well, again, just referencing how early in the season it is, but I've begun the conversation about him scoring 50, and it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't. He's already had a seven-game goal-scoring streak this season. He's at 17 through 16 games. I mean, the pace has been incredible. And it almost strikes me as a guy who is playing with a wee bit of a chip on his shoulder this year. When he came into the Ontario Hockey League as a first-rounder to the Kitchener Rangers, there was already talk that he was a potential or likely first-rounder to the National Hockey League. As you know, and as you've already mentioned, he went second round to the Seattle Kraken. And I wonder if that chafed him just a little bit. I don't know. But I can promise you that the Carson Rakoff I've been seeing through the first 16 games of this year is a much different Carson Rakoff than I saw through the entire season uh, last year and, and the year before, quite frankly. He came into this league with an NHL-ready shot. There's zero question about it. The kid can shoot the puck like a pro from the moment he stepped into the league. But in fairness, and I'm, I'm not trying to rip on the guy, but his his 200-foot game left you wanting a little bit. It was just that simple. And and now it's just he, he's a different player. Not only is he playing a 200-foot game, he's playing it really well. And, oh, yeah, by the way, on offense, he is ripping pucks like you wouldn't believe. And, dare I say, the shot got, has gotten even better. So it's been a really impressive off-season into this early season for Carson Rakoff. Well, and you described it as uh, the start of a rebuild here for the uh, the, the Rangers. Uh, who are those young guys you were referencing uh, that are uh, already on the team here this year and contributing? So the Kitchener Rangers, because of a defection a year ago, had uh, two first-round picks to use, which they used on Cameron Reed, a defenseman, and Luca Romano. Both of those guys are off now. Uh, playing with the U-17 World Hockey Challenge down in Prince Edward Island. Right. And then their second and third rounders, they were also uh, able to sign in Tanner Lamb and Matthias Stark. So four kids in the first three rounds, all of whom signed. And, you know, they come in really highly regarded. When you can get two first rounders, obviously, you don't want to miss on those guys when you're trying to rebuild a hockey team. So those are four guys that, leap off the page immediately. But I'll also quickly give credit to general manager Mike McKenzie for kind of shoring up his his 07 birth year group with this team just because of the way the last number of seasons have gone and, and where he didn't have uh, draft picks available to him. He picked up a kid by the name of Luke Ellenis from the Barry Colts. And Luke was a second, second rounder, might have been a third. I think pretty sure second rounder anyway, into the OHL, but had an injury-plagued season last year. This kid has been dynamite for the Rangers this year. And another one in Carson Campbell, a defenseman from the Sarnia Sting that Mike McKenzie acquired because the Sting were deep on back end. And here's another guy that's fit in so nicely, got a bit of a bite to his game on the back end. And so you take those four picks plus these two acquisitions, and you've got a, a really nice young core of six players there for this hockey club right now. Well, and I mean, right now, first place in the league, contenders, yeah, you would have to give them that label at the moment, uh, and not going anywhere because they're, they're, they are so young. Uh, I mean, this is a window that's going to be open for this year and probably the next couple. Yeah, the, the idea is, and I think I'd call it at this point kind of an open secret, the Kitchener Rangers would like to host the 2027 Memorial Cup. So everything is with an eye on that. And that, like I said, a bit of an open secret coming into this year, 
with the youth. You look at the birth years, you think these guys are all going to be coming into their own in that potential Memorial Cup year. So whether they host or not, that is the goal that this team has. In 2027, we're going to be there. Are they ahead of schedule now? It certainly looks that way, but that's been the destination all the way. Uh, what other stories around the uh, the Ontario Hockey League have, have sort of piqued your interest uh, so far, Mike? Two really jump out at me. One is the team that the Kitchener Rangers are tied with points-wise uh, in the Western Conference, and that's the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. This was a team, Guy, that missed the playoffs last year and didn't just miss by a little bit. They yeah. were well behind the eighth-place team, and all of a sudden, I mean, in fairness, they had thought that they'd have a team to potentially they bid to host the Memorial Cup, so they figured they would be good. But this has been a really dramatic turnaround from missing the playoffs to top of the Western Conference in the span of a quarter of a season. So good things are happening up there in the Sioux. And then down in Saginaw, who is hosting the Memorial Cup this year, yeah. boy, oh boy, they had to come from behind to beat the Mississauga Steelheads uh, last weekend to avoid a fifth straight loss. Like it's just been, it is early and I get that, but ooh, they've stumbled and bumbled a little bit to get this season started. And, and that was a team that impressed a lot last year, even though they sold off assets, they made it into the playoffs comfortably. They took their first round to uh, seven games. Uh, it, you know, there, obviously when you're the Memorial cup host, there's a lot more attention and expectation on you. So that one's been a bit of a curious one. I'm confident they'll sort it out, but it's it's been a little bit weird. And I should probably just give a quick mention of uh, the Mississauga Steelheads, too. Some really good young talent there. Uh, Ryerson Leanders, the goaltender. Uh, Porter Martone and Angus McDonnell, two really good young hockey players you'll be hearing more about and coming into their draft year. These guys are uh, these guys are terrific. And, and Mississauga probably playing a little bit ahead of schedule. I was looking at the uh, the four teams who were at the Memorial Cup last year, and uh, Kamloops is in last place in the, in the WHL. The Quebec Ramparts last place uh, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Seattle's not doing too bad, but the Peterborough Peets right now have the best winning percentage in the OHL. Is this a surprise that the Peets are as good as they are again this season? Yes, and thank you for jogging my memory on that one as well, because... <laughs> Not only a surprise is how well they're like they're leading their division, and their division includes the Ottawa 67s, which is a, a perennial powerhouse in this league. They've won the regular season championship three of the past four years, and a lot of people like them in the East Division again this year. But Peterborough is staying comfortably ahead of them at this point. They're yet to lose in regulation on the road, which is just bizarre but much like what I think what gets overlooked with the way yes, Peterborough went out last year and made a number of trades to really make a push. And obviously it worked out winning the OHL and going to the Memorial Cup. But they had a, a pretty strong core of good young hockey players that gained so much valuable experience mm -hmm. a season ago. And I think that's starting to pay dividends for uh, the team in the Liftlock City, as we call it here in Ontario, this early in the season. They even traded away their championship-winning goaltender, Michael Simpson, to start the year. And I thought that was, you know, you might as well wave the white flag at that point. But the Peterborough Peets are proving pundits like me wrong in a big way so far. What are you looking forward to next uh, in the short term here for the Rangers or other stories in the Ontario Hockey League that are uh, coming up quickly? You know, I'm I'm glad you asked that because one of the things I was thinking about when it comes to the Rangers is they've they faced I mean little bits of adversity. They start the season with three straight wins, then they lose back to back games, and everybody thinks, okay, now it's the young team, and you know we're going to see what they're 
really all about. But then they went off and, and won another three in a row. So, and, and then just this past weekend, they were beginning a month of November where they had 13 games over the course of a month and they had a couple of tough teams in North Bay and London. And everybody's like, okay, now the real test. And what do they do? They go off and win the two of those toughest of the three games and, and make it two out of three on the weekend. So it seems that every time the Rangers are presented with a challenge, they have responded. If they're, if they're taking a test, they're getting, they're getting an A or an A-plus on it. And just this week, they've now been included in the CHL's top 10. So I would say, here's your next test now. Are your head's going to fit through the dressing room door or are you going to respond and, and show that you belong in the top 10 conversation? So I'm really looking forward to the, the weekend ahead with this team. And I'm also, I'm watching very carefully the, the London Knights who are kind of middling right now, but were expected to be one of those powerhouses giving the Saginaw spirit a run for their money. So I'm a Western Conference guy here in the O. Saginaw and London are two teams I'm really keeping my eye on. I still believe after 68 games are done, these are the teams that we'll be talking about. But, gosh, it's uh, different than we expected early on. All right. Well, as we're speaking, it's uh, Tuesday. The Rangers are in action on Wednesday night in Owen Sound uh, and their last place team in the Mid- Midwest Division. But it's there's a lot of parity. And I'm seeing this across the CHL, that there's a lot more parity this year than we've seen in the last couple where it's, it's, it's sort of become – uh, leagues where teams load up and you're, you're seeing like three three teams maybe in each league that are going for it clearly, there seems to be a lot more parity this year across all three CHL leagues. And to me, that's that's better. That's more exciting. I'm absolutely loving it myself. You talk about Owen Sound being the last place team in the Midwest division, but they're one of five teams in that division with a winning record. Right. There's not a, a below 500 record in the division, which is really impressive and yeah we were just talking about that this past weekend there doesn't seem to be uh, a dog in the OHL this year Niagara's on a rebuild but they're performing well you talk about Peterborough coming off a championship and sitting in first place right now Sarnia Sting they they loaded up like to the the guilds last year and they're off to a great start this year Windsor had struggled they're starting to turn it around the Erie Otters I could go on and on but there does seem to be that parity, and it makes it a lot of fun to go to the rink. Uh, one more before I let you go. Um, the Brantford Bulldogs uh, relocating from Hamilton. Uh, what was the story there that that led to this move, and do we see Hamilton get back into the league? Could we see expansion in the OHL? Ooh, all kinds of my favorite topics. <laughs> so I don't think um, I don't think this team is going to return to Hamilton. What happened was uh, the city decided Hamilton to. Uh, renovate first Ontario Center where the Bulldogs were playing and they punted out the the tenants that were there including the Hamilton Bulldogs so they moved about 45 minutes away up the road in these parts to the city of Brantford but one of the many peculiarities with this story was that after they got booted out and they established their team in Brantford for this season the renovations at their old arena in Hamilton were delayed so much they could have stayed there to play the whole season. So there are questions like how how much did people really care in Hamilton? How much did the city care, et cetera, et cetera? And I can tell you that Brantford uh, welcomed this team with open arms, uh, is already talking about building a new arena. They want, their, their mayor is on record as saying he wants the OHL back in Brantford permanently. There was a team back in the early 1980s called the Brantford Alexanders, and obviously no longer, but it would make perfect sense to me. Now, 
One of the other stories, though, when you ask, is it ever going to go back? If not the Ontario Hockey League back to Hamilton, the the group doing the renovation at First Ontario Centre says they want to have hockey as one of their primary tenants in the new building or the renovated building. So what does that look like? They had an AHL team in there before. They've had a number of OHL teams that have come and gone. I don't know. I get the sense that the city of Hamilton is a Canadian football league city, Hmm. and that's pretty much it. But they said just this week, we want hockey to be one of our primary tenants. I guess we'll see what happens. But I don't think the Bulldogs are going back personally. Could you see the NHL ever uh, ending up in that market? No. The territorial, I mean, that was the dream. And I think that's part of what's got Hamilton in this situation, right? They're I love I love the city, but they're almost like a, a wannabe or an also ran because you've got Toronto just down the road from them, and there's not a chance I think that that Toronto or Buffalo, for that matter, they're too close geographically to waive territorial rights to allow a team to set up there. So I I mean I could go way back to the stories where there was a a billionaire tech owner in in my city here in Kitchener Waterloo that was. Buying, well, tried to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins with the idea of bringing them into Hamilton and making another Canadian hockey team. So, and that goes back what twenty or so years now. So, anyway, I just I can't see the NHL establishing itself there. If anything, it'll be an American Hockey League team. That'd be my guess. Mike, this has been a lot of fun as always. I hope you don't mind if I call you again sooner as opposed to later. You call me anytime. I love talking hockey with you, and I love being on the Pipeline Show. So, thank you very much. There's Mike Farwell from the Kitchener Rangers, the uh, play-by-play man for the Rangers. Also hosts a uh, podcast, the OHL-centric podcast you should tune in for as well. It's great stuff. From the OHL, next up, we're going to the British Columbia Hockey League. The new field, the new look, the new attitude, BCHL. Independent Rogue League. What does that mean? We'll see if anything on the ice is noticeably different or not. Brian Weeb from BCHL Network is my guest next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year. Here he goes. Wide around the middle. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. I race through the crowded stadium with sweat pouring a glass of crisp cold beer refreshes my webpage, but the computer crashes into another car who instinctively grabs the release on my chute and hits the bedside alarm. Apparently, it's time to wake up. Ignite imagination. Advertising on the Pipeline Show works. Who listens to the Pipeline Show? People like you. Share the story of your business with targeted customers. Contact Guy directly at Guy at thepipelineshow.com. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Just do it. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada simply by going to their website, which is wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, we're going to uh, check in on the British Columbia Hockey League. Uh, obviously a big year for the BCHL, having uh, gone completely independent this season. And uh, my next guest is going to update us and 
Tell us, uh, well, maybe if there's uh, some noticeable differences this year. Brian Weeb from BCHL Network is back on the program. Brian, thanks for, uh, thanks for, uh, for the listeners don't know, but I actually had you penciled in for next week, but I had some late cancellations for this week, and I asked if you'd be able to uh, uh, do it this week. And uh, last minute, yes, you are. I really appreciate that. Thanks for doing this, Brian. How are things? Uh, things are great, Guy. Uh, my pleasure. Happy to be on the show. All right. Well, tell me about this season uh, from your perspective. Do you notice a difference on the ice? Uh, I know there's been a lot of news off the ice for the league. On the ice, are you noticing anything different? You know what? I was literally talking to someone about this the other day, and uh, in terms of caliber of play, it seems like for the BCHL this season, it's been as high as ever. And, I mean, the one thing that I think um, I, I think that I've noticed and others have noticed is the fact that there does seem to be a little bit of a higher uh, skill and I, and I think that that has to do with the idea that there weren't any restrictions on recruiting um, when it came to, you know, leaving Hockey Canada. And so I think as a result, we've seen maybe some higher-end players uh, end up in the BCHL that maybe we wouldn't have seen before. Interesting. Uh, I know when I look at the standings, uh, last year it was Penticton and then everyone else. Uh, there are still definitely haves and have-nots in the BCHL this year, but there seem to be a few more haves. Uh, when I look at the uh, the Penticton Vs have a little company at the top of the Interior Conference, and the, and the Coastal Region also has three teams that are kind of separated themselves from the pack. I don't want to necessarily call it parity because there are you know there are definitely gaps between the the top teams and the bottom teams, but at least there are more top teams this year. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and you're right. I mean, for years now, the Penticton Vs have have run away with the league during the regular season. And I mean, sure, there's been the odd bump here and there uh, in terms of other teams jumping up, but. I think when you look at especially the Coastal Conference when with Surrey and Alberni Valley and Victoria, those three teams right there, uh, the, the Surrey Eagles at the time of you and I chatting are tied with Penticton, um, whereas Alberni Valley and Victoria are just two points behind. And mm-hmm. and I don't think that, that that's something that people would have predicted um, at this point of the season. Now, I, I guess that we're only a quarter of the way in, but and there's still a lot of season to go. But uh, Penticton being top spot in the interior is no surprise. Um, the Surrey Eagles just had their first loss of the season just last week. And at one point, the Eagles were, were undefeated at 12 and 0. And, and I think that that's something that, uh, nobody saw coming. Not that the Eagles were going to be a poor team, but to come out of the gates at 12 and 0 was something that was uh, a really remarkable thing to watch in the early days of the 23 24 season in the BCHL. And, uh, the Eagles bounced back from that one loss that they faced and won their next game. And so I think that, uh, Surrey is a team. That definitely, you know, a lot of people could be looking at for for a real heavy contender for the Fred Page Cup. Are those teams surprises? Surrey, Alberni Valley, Victoria—that they're they're up there with Penticton at the top of the uh, the overall standings. Are any of them surprises, or were we kind of expecting those teams to be a good ones this year? Well, the Victoria Grizzlies are the team that are the the biggest uh, climber, I guess, out of the the three of those in the Coastal Conference. Uh, Surrey Eagles were second place last season. Um, although the Alberni Valley Bulldogs were third place, they ended up going all the way to the Fred Page Cup final where they lost uh, to the Penticton Vs. And so Victoria, which finished sixth in that division last season, uh, to be within striking distance of first place. I'll put it to you this way. The Grizzlies in the, in the 22-23 season ended the year with 60 points, and they already have 24. Mm. So that says a lot about the improvement of the Victoria Grizzlies this season. I know there was uh, off ice uh, in the, this past summer was just horrendous around the the Kelowna area. 
uh, with all the forest fires. Uh, West Kelowna, were they impacted at all? I, I thought I read that their rink was actually uh, in jeopardy. I'm not sure if it was burned down or not, but what was the situation there in the offseason for West Kelowna, and has it impacted the Warriors this year? So I had the... Um... Uh, I had, I had the head coach and GM of the West Kelowna Warriors, Simon Ferguson on my two goal lead podcast, um, in late August. And I asked him exactly about that. And, and one of the things he mentioned was, uh, you know, the rink wasn't in jeopardy or, I mean, it was obviously the entire community was in jeopardy in terms of how close it was to, to the main West Kelowna strip, essentially the highway that runs, uh, through West Kelowna that leads over the Okanagan Lake to Kelowna. But, um, it, it ended up being used as sort of a community hub and, they looked at the uh, the warriors were heavily involved uh, in helping out with, you know, whether it was at shelters or whether it was, you know, trying to get people back into their homes after they were given the all clear and stuff like that. So, I mean, the the warriors ended up being sort of a, a touch point of of community, um, and that's something that I think a lot of hockey teams, especially in junior hockey, uh, want to be in those communities because let's be honest, those are the billet families and those are the sponsors and those are those volunteers and all those people that make junior hockey tick. And so as a result for the, for the warriors, they wanted to get in there and help as much as they could. And I know uh, when I talked to Simon about it, he said that they wanted to help as much as they could, but they also wanted to give the authorities the opportunity to do their jobs as well. And so although the rink itself wasn't affected, it hasn't adversely affected the warriors uh, on the ice this season. I know it's something that still weighs on their mind, just like it does for all of us here in BC uh, after going through that in the summer. I don't know if you can draw a straight line from on-ice success to you know that community pride and just playing maybe for the, the, the community this year. Can you? Can you draw a line to the success that they're having, at least on the ice this year? Well, I mean, I, I think it might be a, a, a long line. <laughs> I think it might be a stretch sure. uh, a little bit to, to say that. But, I mean, I know that um, for the players that are from the Okanagan region, and the ones who have adopted the Okanagan region as their home for this for the season, obviously it's a huge source of pride, and they're going to know about, you know, what some of their billet families went through or what their friends went through, and you know, or if they're school age players, they would obviously talk to friends and classmates and stuff like that. So I'm not sure that it's an extra bit of motivation, especially not in November. But I, I think that that type of adversity that the community went through is something that that definitely can help. Um, that, that extra little boost of, uh, you know, trying to, to rally the community around something positive out of something that was so horrendous uh, just a few months ago. I know uh, when I look at the standings, uh, the Cranbrook Bucks had such a strong year last season, the second in the interior conference. They're at the bottom right now. Is that a surprise? That is a surprise to me, uh, without a doubt. I mean, Cranbrook came in as an expansion club and was a really competitive team and to see them where they are right now at the at the bottom of the interior. Now, that's not to say that uh, that the Bucks don't have a the ability, and then the coaching staff. I mean, Ryan Donald has done an outstanding to- job there uh, since taking over. I mean, he was the first coach uh, in franchise history. is is still there, and so I mean, I think that Cranbrook, uh, you know, easily could turn things around. But to see where it is at right now, the Bucks being at the bottom of the interior conference standings is a sh- is a bit of a shock to me. Um, knowing the pipeline of, pardon the pun, that uh, of recruiting that Ryan Donald's got. I mean, he's a four, former Yale uh, Bulldogs player, and I know that he's got incredible ties to, you know, NCAA-tracked players in the USHL or in the North American League. 
uh, or in the prep school leagues in the U.S. and and that type of thing. And so I think that for the Bucks, everything's going to be okay. They've made a couple of trades recently uh, as well to try to to turn things around. And so I think that that will continue as as Ryan tries to put his stamp on the team this season. And uh, but but where they are right now at this moment, it is a surprise to me to see Cranbrook solo. I know one of the big differences for the league this year is, well, there's one franchise less, uh, the Wenatchee Wild going to, to the WHL after purchasing the uh, the Winnipeg Ice franchise uh, and relocating it to Wenatchee. Any other changes that you can get a sense for off the ice when it comes to the BCHL? Well, the really curious one right now uh, that's creating a, 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 bit, a few ripples, I'll say, is the fact that the BCHL Roadshow later this month, uh, it's been in Terrace, it's been in Kitimat in the past, it's going into Quinnell, and this is the first time that the BCHL Roadshow, uh, which will have actually Victoria and Cowichan play a pair of games up there, this is the first time the Roadshow has gone into a former BCHL market, because, of course, Quinnell Millionaires were there until about uh, 11, 12 years ago when they were purchased and moved to Chilliwack, uh, when, when that whole Chilliwack Bruins moved to Victoria um, change happened in the Western League. And so um, that's the one thing that's a little curious. A lot of people are sort of saying, all right, this is something that uh, maybe the BCHL is doing a trial run. Maybe they're looking at potentially expanding into Cornell. That Wenatchee Wild franchise at the BCHL level is actually a dormant team right now. Right. Uh, it's still it's still owned by the Wild ownership. Um, it's not like the ownership reverted to the BC Hockey League. But that being said, there is a tie there too in that Wenatchee during the 2021 season, which was the, the COVID-affected season after the cancellation the year prior, um, I talked to Bliss Littler at the time, and, and he mentioned that they were looking at Quinnell as maybe a hub that they might play their home games because, of course, cross-border travel wasn't allowed. Right. And so, you know, there is a potential, I think. I mean, I, I've talked to BCHL um, Commissioner Stephen Cocker. He's told me before that expansion is, is always on the radar um, if it makes sense. And I think that every league would say that. And, and so... There's one Wenatchee Wild franchise out there that's dormant that isn't playing in Wenatchee. And could there be a team back in Quinnell? I know the Prince George Spruce Gigs probably would be happy about that. Um, the teams that go up to Prince George, for sure. And then PG, you know, having a, a team just down the road uh, as a rival instead of, you know, the closest team being Salmon Arm. Right. Uh, it's something that the, that the Spruce Kings probably would like, too. So that's the one thing that that is really curious to me. And I'm not saying that I have any inkling that it would happen for the 24-25 season uh, or anything like that, but it is interesting that the BCHL has chosen to do its roadshow in a community that used to have a BCHL team. Uh, not that long ago, I saw on your Twitter feed that you were announcing, or maybe you weren't announcing, but you were reporting on, uh, and you described it as more turmoil in Nanaimo uh, with their head coaching <laughs> situation. What's happening with the uh, Clippers? Well, this is the third time in three seasons that the Clippers have had a, a, a coach um, leave the team mid-season. And in, and in two cases, it was a coach being suspended. Um, in this case, it was Curtis Toneff, uh, who was actually the acting head coach. He was the interim head coach uh, and the assistant coach for the team, um, who actually was involved in an incident, non-physical, um, with uh, a player on the Chilliwack Chiefs. Uh, and so as a result... Um, he resigned from his post in Nanaimo, um, and that was effective on Halloween Day. Uh, they, you know, they said the Clippers did in their release that he had violated the BCHL coach's code of conduct. <clears throat> excuse me. And so, as a result, 
you know, they ended up, uh, you know, he, he resigned from his post in that case. And I mean, this is just another, I said more turmoil because the Clippers haven't had a consistent coach that stayed in place, you know, since gosh, now probably what the 20, probably the 2021 season, 2020, 21. And so that's what, what I noticed. And I know that Brad Kwong, who's the managing partner of the owners of the Clippers, um, you know, wants that stability there, but they accepted his resignation because they thought that was in the best interest for the club. Um, and so for, I mean, some of the veteran players on Nanaimo, this is now the Bob Beattie has stepped back in. And this is like the third time that Bob has sort of been airlifted in to be the, the, uh, the interim head coach of, of the Clippers. And so it's just, it's an interesting scenario what's happened. And it's been different circumstances uh, every time, like Colin Burkus, who was the head coach and GM of the, or is still the head coach and GM of, of the Clippers is, still under investigation by hockey Canada and is suspended until that investigation uh, ends up coming out. And we don't know where it's at. Don't know why it's coming out. Don't know what Burke's status is. Um, and then we saw Darren Naylor a few years ago, who was also suspended and, uh, and consequently reinstated by hockey Canada. Uh, but now of course he's coaching and owning the team in rock Springs in the national collegiate development conference. So it's just been a, a bit of a weird few years for the Clippers behind the bench. And, and it just, when thought there was some stability there with Colin Burkus being suspended and Curtis Toneff coming in, well, now he's resigned and, and Bob Beattie is back there behind the, behind the bench in Nanaimo. Wow. Yeah. Sounds a little chaotic. Uh, from It is. It really is. Listen, I had the, the USHL's commissioner, the new commissioner, Glenn Heffern, on the show in the off season, and I asked him about his perspective on what the BCHL, uh, the, the direction the league decided to take moving away from Hockey Canada. Uh, and I asked him for his perspective. He actually thought that it was a bad idea and that he, he encouraged everybody to get back. Uh, I asked about you know maybe the potential of playing against the BCHL champ or something like that. He said he couldn't do that with an unsanctioned league. Has everything gone as they, the BCHL had hoped uh, with their decision? Well, I think so. I mean, in the, in the conversations I have with the, the folks in the team office and with other teams, um, it, it seems like it has. Like, even I thought, like, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I was just like, this doesn't seem all that different. It's kind of like when the BCHL left the CJHL. Right. You know, like, really, the only consequence at that time was that, you know, its players couldn't, be selected for the world junior a challenge they couldn't be you know they wouldn't participate in the cjhl prospects game they wouldn't participate in the national junior a championship and that's still the case and so really from what i've seen like we still saw bchl players ranked on nhl central scouting's players to watch list we still saw bchl players ranked all over the place including as high as the second round in central scouting's preliminary Um, rankings for next year's draft and so that hasn't changed and so it kind of makes me wonder where i'm like could there be i think the the bigger thing is is that the bchl stuck its neck out and other leagues in canada could be looking at this and saying well wait a minute maybe the benefits of going independent outweigh the detriments and could be looking at at following the lead of the bchl so from my perspective from what i've seen and this is strictly my opinion it certainly does seem like everything has gone according to plan and there hasn't been much of a downside just yet. We're still seeing NCAA commitments all over the place from, from players in the league. So, 
I mean, that's the same as it was before, right? So yep. what's so different about, about any of that kind of stuff? And, and even when it comes to the USHL, like we still see USHL teams making cuts, you know, uh, all the time. You'll see, go look on their transactions and you'll see a player delete it. And then three days later, he gets signed by a BCHL club. Well, that's exactly what happened in the past too. So I, I don't know. Like, honestly, honestly, Guy, I don't see much of a difference in the way things are being operated uh, in terms of the NHL's perspective, the NCAA's perspective, and, and then the BCHL's. If anything, the one thing we're not seeing is a number of transactions between BCHL teams and other teams in the CJHL. Right. That was something that was allowed when, even though the BCHL wasn't a CJHL member, it was still a Hockey Canada member and could still make deals with Alberta Junior Hockey League teams or in Saskatchewan, etc. That's what we're not seeing now. What we are seeing is they could obviously just sign a player from one of those teams. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I don't see much of a downside at this point. I do miss seeing the BCHL players in the, the World Junior A Challenge or at the Centennial Cup. Did, we, I think we were robbed of seeing the Brooks Bandits and the Peticton Bees playing uh, last year for a national championship. So I, I do, for the people who say that's a downside, I do see, I do agree with that. That's a bummer. I agree with that too. But I don't think like I don't think that matters as much to a player as some people think. Like like I think that if a player looks at it and goes, "Well, I'm going to have NCAA eyes on me, or U uh, Sports eyes on me, or NHL eyes on me," whether or not I can play in a you know Hockey Canada sanctioned tournament that's not the World Juniors, I'm not too worried about it. Like I, that's just my gut. Like that's my feeling that I get. Like if I'm if I'm 17 years old, I'm not sure that matters to me all that much. That's fair. Uh, the fact right now, uh, if I look at the scoring race in the BCHL for the for the top, well, the the top four scores, all Americans. Does that matter? Um, no, I don't think that's all that different than previous years either. Um, that's something that uh, you know, and especially when you look at the ages, like the top scorers in the league. I think the top six are all 19 as well. Um, you know, that's something that's not abnormal unless you have a special player like a Matthew Wood or an Alex Newhook or, or Tyson Jost or something like that. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think that matters because every BCHL team was allowed six American players. Um, so I don't think that that's, that's out of the realm. What is really interesting to me is that the top three scores aren't committed to an NCAA school. Mm. And that's something that, that I think will change. Um, because once you get past those top three scores, you know, I think the next seven or something like that are committed to NCAA schools. Um, so I think that that's something that was a little is a little surprising to me when you look at those stats right now. Interesting. All right, lots to digest. Uh, what else are you looking for in the league or, or other type of stories that you're about to be covering here for the BCHL Network? Well, a couple of things that we're looking at uh, right now is just continuing on. Like uh, one one thing that Clifford Hofford is a writer of ours on the website, and he he really likes to dig into some player profiles. And Robin Wark is another one who, who loves talking to players. There's a story up there about the Vernon Vipers captain. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's a hometown player. He's in his final year of junior hockey. So those are the types of stories that we like to tell uh, on the website. And, and we appreciate everyone going to read uh, what we've got posted up there as we, we try to cover the league as in-depth as possible. Um, I know there's a story coming uh, about the Cowichan Valley Capitals' new ownership group because the Capitals were sold um, earlier this year. And then also there's a connection between uh, an article coming about the connection between the BCHL and the main Nordiques of the North American Hockey League. So people can keep an eye out 
for those that probably should be published in the next few days or so. Excellent. That's at bchlnetwork.ca. Brian, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Guy. Always, uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. There's Brian Weeb from the BCHL Network, a passionate follower of the BCHL, and does a terrific job of updating fans on what's happening around the league and gets lots of people from the league uh, for not just his uh, podcast, but for his uh, publication there at bchlnetwork.ca. Great job. Well, they go from the BCHL to the NCAA, and that's where we're going next as well. And you have to think the hottest team in the NCAA right now would be the Wisconsin Badgers. And Todd Maluski from USCHO, he covers Wisconsin. So he's the man to call, and we do that next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Don Holloway from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross eye, center eyes to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, Weisbach refeeds Holloway open, scores! <laughs> what a fantastic play! Holloway, Weisbach, back to Holloway. 1-1, wow! And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yo! Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Continuing here on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, this one is going to be an NCAA campus report. Those are always brought to us by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, there are things you need to know that you can or can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Uh, Get in contact with Mike Snee or anybody over at College Hockey, Inc. And uh, try their uh, website. Great resource to answer a lot of your questions as well. All right. We are uh, headed to uh, the Wisconsin area and uh, joined now by Todd Maluski from USCHO. Uh, Todd, thanks for uh, making time again. Uh, how's things? Things are good. How are things with you? Doing really well. Uh, not quite as well as the Badgers are doing. And this is, uh, I'm not sure if this is a surprise start for you, uh, being as close to the uh, the program as you are, but... Uh, the uh, nine and one Wisconsin Badgers flying out the gate this year. Yeah, I think it is a surprise start from the perspective of how well they started. I think most people, myself included, thought they would be better record-wise this season. Mm-hmm. I don't think their record last season, thirteen and twenty-three, was necessarily reflective of the talent on the team. Um, it, it was a bad start that compounded a few times over. Uh, the course of the season, and that ended up with uh, Tony Granado being fired as coach and the, the, the existing coaching staff being moved out and Mike Hastings being brought in uh, after a really successful stint at Minnesota State. Um, and then, you know, you, you thought that that would, you know, start to turn things around. And people, you know, told me over the summer, look, this, this team has a lot of good pieces to it. And they the, the new staff added to it with some 
some players out of the transfer portal. The incoming recruiting class was good. The, the, the group that Tony Granado and his staff left for Mike Hastings was a pretty solid one coming in. Um, but nine and one, I, I did not see that coming. That's, uh, I think more than really anyone would have imagined. And it's, it's really, um, you know, a, a legit nine and one because mm-hmm. two of those wins are at Minnesota, uh, which was number one at the time. Uh, two of them last weekend were uh, against Michigan, which was number four at the time. Both of them uh, won late. And so they, they've had a way of winning these different kind of games uh, that show you that you know, it's not just a fluke. They're not just, you know, they have to play one certain way to win games. They've, they've found ways to, uh, you know, to win close games, to, to extend some leads a couple times in games. Uh, and so that to me is, is something that it puts some validity behind what they've done early in the season. Yeah, not just the the nine and one record, but who they've beat. You mentioned Minnesota, Michigan. They split with North Dakota. Actually, they didn't split. Just the the one game, right? Uh, which they lost. It's the only blemish on their record. But the uh, Fighting Hawks are ranked right behind them uh, right now in the USCHO top twenty uh, at uh, number four. But they also beat Michigan Tech, swept the Huskies, and they were supposed to be pretty good this year. I know they've struggled, uh, but it's. It's not just an impressive record; it's an impressive who they who they beat. And actually, the rise up the the rankings. I know you mentioned on Twitter, not that or X, whatever we're calling it these days. <laughs> uh, just it's a historic rise up the rankings. I mean, a couple of weeks ago they were what fourteenth, and then up to five, and now three. And that's pretty uh, an indication of how how well they've played this year. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often that a team is unranked. It goes from unranked to in the top three uh, in the span of three weeks. And the only time I could find that it ever happened was actually Wisconsin back in uh, uh, the 1999-2000 season uh, for the USCHO rankings that go back to 1997. That's the only other time something like that has, has happened. Uh, and But it's also um, indicative of where... Uh, where Wisconsin was to start the season in, in a lot of people's minds, kind of that curiosity factor. There's right. like, well, you know, let, let's wait and see what happens here. But then uh, I, I think a lot of people have, have started to believe in these last couple of weeks with um, a 5-1 and one road trip. Like you mentioned, that, that one loss to North Dakota was the only blemish there. And, and really, I, I look back at that game and, and saw that being a, you know, not a bad sign for Wisconsin because they were right there with North Dakota in North Dakota's barn that whole game. Uh, lost 2 nothing. Badgers hit the post four times, so it's not like they were, you know, they were shy or anything. They weren't getting their chances. They, they were. They just didn't convert them. But they weren't out of it by any means. And, and for a, a team that you were looking for some signs of, well, where is this going to go after a 3-0 and start at that point, uh, that was like a, okay, you know, you know maybe there's there's something – that that can happen here. They can they can play with the the big teams, and then sure enough, uh, they go and and sweep Michigan Tech, which is you know had some struggles to start the season, but was ranked at that point, and then go to Minnesota and win two games there. And that's mm-hmm. uh, that's when I think people really started to pay attention, and and you got some uh, real like curiosity of like is this a real is this the real deal here? And um, I mean we'll. we'll you know, we'll let the season play out more to to know that for sure. But it's hard to downgrade what they've done this season, given the the teams that they played and where they've had to do it. Every program loses guys from one year to the next and bring uh, in freshmen, and their uh, the transfer portal has become such a a useful tool for some teams. That I know there are different players, but the big difference has to be behind the bench. Mike Hastings comes in and has really turned this program around, and you expect that it's going to take time. But as you've already outlined. 
you think it's going to be like trying to turn a battleship. Eventually it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. this has happened a lot quicker than I think anybody expected. What is it about Mike Hastings, other than being an awesome coach, obviously, uh, but what is he doing that's uh, that's getting it done so quickly? Uh, from what I've been able to tell, it's you know there's a lot of uh, structure and and uh, expectations and accountability that are involved, and that's not new for him here. That's that's what got him a lot of success at Minnesota State. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was a coach that players you know like to play for, but he was very demanding of them, and and you have to have the right players to to do that, and and so you never really know when you're coming into a new situation, a coach that is that demanding and has a reputation for being that way, how, how that's going to mesh with returning players. But I mean, I look around at this group, uh, it seems to be going pretty well. Uh, you know, they've, they've, uh, a lot of the returning players have contributed in big ways. I look for Cruz Lucius, for example, and, and Matthew D. St. Fall, um, players that were heavily involved last season have just picked up, uh, in, in the same way, in doing things a little bit differently, though, in, in being defensively responsible and, and having uh, a little bit of a mindset of, of playing a more of a 200-foot game, uh, th- those are big things. And, and you know, it, it's hard to overlook the fact that his the the two centers, two top two centers he has right now are transfers that came with him from Minnesota State, and David Cilia and Christian Fitzgerald. That's a a big thing when you come in and. You, you see that maybe the depth at center down the middle is not what you would like. You can, if you can bring two guys you trust and you know what you're going to get from them to, to anchor that spot, that's a huge thing. And I think that really can't be, uh, you know, oversold in, in terms of the importance of, of what things have, have, how things have started at Wisconsin this season. Yeah. Two of those guys that you just mentioned came with them from, uh, from Minnesota State. Also, Simon Tassie, three of the top five scorers. Uh, for the Badgers are guys who were with uh, Mike Hastings last year. Yep. Has that rubbed some people uh, a bit on the, the the wrong way that the coach comes? He also brings a bunch of players with him. I know some people uh, uh, that I follow on Twitter from uh, Minnesota State that are fans of that program weren't, weren't real happy about it. No, mm-hmm. because it wasn't just those players. It was also uh, Todd Kanat, the associate head coach, came with him. Uh, the director of hockey operations, Luke Regner, came with him. And, and Tommy Inkrot, the uh, uh, strength and conditioning coach, also came from Minnesota State. So there, there was a big group coming uh, coming east from from Minnesota to to be part of this here, and uh, but that also does say a little a little bit about what Mike Hastings had built uh, with that Minnesota State program and with those people who he wanted to bring with him and were willing to be to to come with because Ty cannot had an opportunity to become the head coach at Minnesota State after Mike Hastings left, and he he turned that down to come here. Uh, to Madison to work at Wisconsin with him, um, and I think that's that's something that you really have to take into consideration. Of this is uh, someone who thinks that he he can really build something pretty special here at Wisconsin with Mike Hastings by coming here. So that uh, that stuck out to me back in the summer when that or in the off season when that happened, and I think you're seeing now some of the the reasons why you know people might might consider moving along with Mike Hastings when he's able to do what he's done early here. There are 13 NHL drafted players on this roster, and only one of them is in the in the top end of the uh, the scoring for the team. That would be Cruz Lucic, who you mentioned. Uh, are have some of the other bigger name guys or drafted guys underperformed, or are they is this just kind of their role, and that's why they were drafted where they were? Uh, or are we expecting more from some of the uh, the guys who are drafted? 
Well, one of the, the players to watch this season for the Badgers was Charlie Stramel, first-round pick of the Wild. Uh, but he's he's had some injury problems. He missed, uh, I think it was four or five games, uh, lower body injury that happened in practice, so we're not exactly sure what happened. But um, he he tried to come back and play the first game against Michigan. He did not look comfortable, uh, especially on face-offs. It, it just didn't look like things are right with him. And so they sat him down again for the second game. And uh, Mike Casing says there's going to have to be some conversations there about what the, the, you know, what the next steps are mm-hmm. uh, so that the, the Badgers have a week off this week. So uh, obviously there's a little bit of time to, to consider uh, what, what to do next, but he's, he's someone that I think was a big, uh, you know, you know, uh, a headliner going into the season, obviously a first round pick, you know, you expect in his second season in college, uh, you expect that him to take a little bit of a step. And I, 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 I fear that the, the injury is going to really slow that progress, uh, much like he had in his last season at, with the national team development program. He had an injury there that, that really slowed, uh, his development. And, and a lot of people thought it might cost him in the draft. Um, Obviously, he still became a first-round pick, but mm-hmm. uh, he had a, a lot higher uh, projections at one point. Uh, just a big body, you know, big kind of the big rig down the middle to play center uh, for a team, and uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks and months here. Uh, whether that becomes a uh, uh, an issue that uh, becomes more of a long-term thing. You can't have success without good goaltending. They they seem to be getting it from Kyle McClellan, who is uh, he he himself was a transfer, not this past season. He was with Wisconsin last year, uh, but came over from Mercyhurst. Uh, is is this a product of a really good team in front of him playing good defensive hockey, or is does he own a lot of credit for the success uh, for for his stats and for the team right now? I think there is you know there it's always going to be a little bit of of the people in front of you, but I, I look at. Kyle McClellan in a much different way uh, right now than than we saw him last season here with Wisconsin. Uh, and last season, maybe that's not fair because last season he was he was primarily the backup until late in the season where he got the a uh, little bit more of the the starting role. Uh, Jared Moe was was given the, the first opportunity uh, and and he he played okay uh, last season. Not. Not great, but it was a little bit of a, a thing where no one was uh, doing incredibly well enough to make them the number one starter over Jared Moe. So uh, they they went with that. And uh, I, when coming into the season, Mike Hastings was was saying that you know there's not really anyone that's run to take the starting job yet either. And that before even before the first week of games, that was uh, what he was saying. And and so. Uh, at that point, you're thinking, well, uh, let's see what the Badgers get for for goaltending. But uh, McClellan has really been, uh, you know, strong. I, I look back at uh, uh, when they were at Minnesota; he was making some really, really good saves on 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 chances not far out in front of the net. Um, it's, positionally, was playing well. Reactionally, reactions were were very good. Uh, so that's you know, if he can stay at that that level the Badgers really have something going but it is also the case where uh I've noticed the back checking the group of five defending has been an awful lot better than what we've seen in the recent seasons from the Badgers uh Todd if we can let's uh, expand out and look at the the Big Ten as a whole for a minute and just the quality of the conference right now it's you know you go back 
three or four years ago, and it was like, what's wrong with the Big Ten? Why aren't these teams mm-hmm. and programs uh, performing up to expectations? Uh, that seems to have really turned around, and now you've got three or four teams. We see the resurgence now of Michigan State. It's been a long time, really, since the Spartans were relevant, uh, and they are back and uh, playing some pretty good hockey, and they're the next opponent here for the Badgers. Yeah, Adam Nightingale has has really turned things around there with a really aggressive recruiting effort and transfer portal effort at Michigan State, and that's uh, I mean, it's really good to see that. You know, the the thing about the Big Ten is that uh, when it formed as six teams before Notre Dame got added, I think in in 2017, if my memory serves, uh, you know, people were thinking, well, which of these six teams is going to be in last? Because you know, Penn State was just getting started, but mm-hmm. they obviously shot up very fast uh in their their second or third season they were already you know a, a top half kind of team uh where you know then it became a you know Wisconsin was really struggling they they sank to the bottom uh and while at the same time you had Michigan and Minnesota kind of creating this race to the top kind of pushing each other uh at, at the other side of things um and and you know not the leave out then Notre Dame had a really good run. Ohio State's been good a few times. I mentioned Penn State. Uh, Michigan State is, is that one that like really struggled uh, for a long time, uh, but in these, these last few years has, has found, uh, last two years, I guess, really has, has found a different approach with Adam Nightingale, uh, who's just, I mean, from from everything I've heard and everything I've experienced, is just a really talented coach and gets a lot out of players. But he gets uh, a lot of help from an assistant coaching staff, too, that is really skilled and, and dedicated on the recruiting uh, trail. So uh, big things are happening there. I'm interested to see how fast that, uh, I guess, how how far up they can go this season. I think maybe another year away until and and they're they're looking at a a really high end kind of team, uh, but it's definitely a, a big change for Michigan State this season. What have you seen? I guess you haven't seen Ohio State yet, but what are your expectations for the Buckeyes this year? They were one of those teams that was kind of in that grab bag. You know, when you looked at the start of the season, I think a lot of people had Michigan, Minnesota in some order, one and two, and then uh, probably Minnesota. Most people ahead uh, of Michigan. Uh, then the, there was, you know, Michigan State was this kind of intrigue pick for mm-hmm. maybe third, and then it was everyone else: um, Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, in some order. Uh, and Ohio State is really kind of like I look at when they played Michigan a few weeks ago. They they got just hammered the first night. I think it was seven one or eight one, something like that. Something Michigan can do to teams. You know, once they they get going downhill, it's it's hard to stop that offense. But uh, then the next night they came back and I think it was a two-two tie and, and Ohio State won the shootout and so uh, there's a little bit of I think you know you get beat that bad one night there's a pride factor in coming back and that was obviously the case where they could they could draw on that they are a a well coached team by Steve Rollick, uh who who has always been able to get the most out of players regardless of the overall talent level or you know skill level or high end picks or anything like that he gets. Uh, more out of uh, out of a team than than most do, I would say uh, historically, and that's I think right now you're in a question of you know can they they they've had some bumps early in the season can they survive that can they get better I think everyone is trying to be you know you know you're not a finished product in October or November but are you getting better to the point where you're um, uh, able to be uh, 
you know, a factor in the second half of the season. And, and it's a little bit of wait and see for me on Ohio State in, in terms of that. Uh, I need to see a few more games before I know more of, of where they'll be in the picture. Recently, I had a guest on who told me that at the start of the season, his expectations were that the Golden Gophers would might be better this year than last year. That struck me as funny because without Matthew Nyes and uh, Logan Cooley and Brock Faber, yeah. like how do you, how can you be better than you were last year? Uh, what was your take coming into the year on the Gophers? It sounded like you thought they might be the best team in the conference as well. Have they underachieved to this point, in your opinion? I mean, they're not bad, but they're just over five hundred. It's it's tough to. I mean, you, you want to jump in the season and start making you know assessments right away, right? Because that that's what we do. We wait so long for the season to begin. And you hear so much about the way teams are going to be, and then you want to you know the first couple of games. Okay, let's let's start uh, assigning grades here, and are they they what we thought they were? And I, I think Minnesota is going to be a much better team second half of the season just because of the youth they have on defense. Get those game, get those young players some more games, some more experience at this level, uh, and 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 then we'll. we'll have more a more accurate uh, description of what that team is because I you know you look at that that the lineup they put out there it's it's pretty talented um, I, I think there are some guys there that are gonna gonna do all right for themselves at the next level and uh, to me right now it's just a you know let's see how they get through this the, the first half of the season and, and and get themselves better they took a couple losses against Wisconsin and 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 split a series against Notre Dame or sorry North Dakota up in up in Grand Forks. Um those are the big ones I think that everyone uh looks for uh on the schedule uh especially when Minnesota and North Dakota are able to play the non or outside the Big 10 and um so I I I'm still I still feel like they are the uh the the um the, the team to watch in the Big Ten. Now, Wisconsin has shaken that up a little bit by beating mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota and Michigan in the first two weeks of the season. But um, over a long haul, it's 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 hard to, to see where Minnesota isn't a a factor towards the top of the standings uh, by, by February and March. Well, I know they're playing against Michigan this weekend, so the two teams that the, the Badgers just uh, swept uh, go head to head, and and I think most people had those two teams as the top two in, in the conference coming into the start of the season. What do you make of the Wolverines? Well, that that is a team that has just so many different offensive weapons uh, can can pull from all sorts of different directions. There, uh, I'd like to see them be a little bit more uh, uh, dedicated to uh, the D zone coverages, and uh, I, I think they'll get there. Uh, Brandon Dorado uh, gets a lot out of players, and and I think that's you know something that you know they they like to play with the puck, obviously, and and what team doesn't? But they are uh, it's going to take them a little while to be be better uh, without the puck and to, to uh, get to understand that uh, you know everyone needs to buy into that that kind of play because you know to get that puck back, you got to you only score with the puck. So when you don't have it, figure out how to get it back and and, and go up ice. Um, but I, I mean, Gavin Brindley, I, I, he scored two goals on Friday night that were just out of basically out of nowhere on a rush. Just his speed was was incredible. Mm. Uh, found a seam and and and, and had some really well placed shots to score two goals. Um, uh, it's it's you know the amount of talent they have on that team is is hard to beat from from anyone in the country. So 
Uh, you know, it's going to come down to, I think, the defense and goaltending side of it. Uh, and, and, you know, things are a little unsettled there, but I would imagine they'll be better when, when it comes to crunch time down the stretch of the season. Do you know what the situation is with uh, defenseman Ethan Edwards? He hasn't played all season. He's a uh, New Jersey Devils draft pick from our neck of the woods up here. So uh, he always uh, interests me to see where the Canadians are and what they're doing. So I noticed he hasn't yeah. played at all. I'm just looking it up here. He he is out with an injury from earlier in the season, so okay. that uh, that appears to be it. But uh, I I know they were expecting a lot from him. They they put a letter on him before the season, so that uh, uh, I, I think is is something that um, they, they'd love to have him back at some point. But I don't know what the the timeline is there. Okay, before I let you go, Todd, we haven't really touched on uh, the Irish of Notre Dame and uh, Penn State as well. Uh, what are your expectations for those two programs this year? Are they kind of in the also in the conference category, or can they be factors? <laughs> I think they are in that. Uh, we need to, to see some more out of them. I saw them uh, watch their game on on TV on Sunday. They played each other in in State College, and um, uh, my takeaways were that uh, you can never count a Penn State team out because they were down a couple of goals and came back to tie and won a shootout. Um, and so they're they're a team that that needs to get some. You know they're never short on shot attempts and and getting the puck to the net. They need to cash in a few more of those, and and I think they'll be fine. I I, I like them from a, a goaltending perspective. Uh, I think they have good pieces. Uh, on the Notre Dame side, that is a uh, it seems like a team in a little bit of transition this year. But I I don't think Notre Dame's ever too far away from being. A, a really quality team, and so that's that's where I, I saw them um, be. Uh, you know, there were a couple of times that they they made some mistakes that they paid for, um, and they were, weren't able to close out a, a road win with a, a lead in the last couple of minutes. Uh, so that that to me was a a sign of a team that you know you know it, it you you have to find that kind of. Uh, finishing touch sometimes, and and maybe it'll get there, maybe it won't. But um, I I I will never count out a, a Notre Dame team because I've seen uh, uh, even even the the Jeff Jackson teams that haven't had the greatest amount of talent on them uh, put forth an effort that uh, keeps them in a lot of games, and they they have really good goaltending with Ryan Bischel, and so that's that's an equalizing factor right there uh, in in any game. So uh, he wins you a couple games there; they're right in the mix. Excellent. Well, it keeps things exciting. Todd, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. You bet. Anytime. It's Todd Maluski from USCHO. He does a great job covering uh, not just the Big Ten, but NCAA hockey in general. In fact, everyone at USCHO, they've been doing a masterful job of that task uh, for well over 20 years now. God, it must be 25. Maybe they're even up getting closer to 30. You know, we've had lots of people from USCHO on this program over the years. Jimmy Connolly, Paula West, and their regulars. And Todd's done it a bunch of times as well. They know what they're doing, and they deliver the goods. And the Big Ten, pretty interesting to look at this year. You've got the resurgence now of Wisconsin getting into the mix. It looked like, for most people, it looked like it would be the Gophers and the Wolverines again. But now you got the Badgers right in there. What is it about the uh, rodents? Are they rodents? Are they all rodents? Is Wolverine a rodent? I'm not sure. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the Irish and the Nittany Lions in the back a bit. I don't know what it says about the Buckeyes. Anyway, I'm kidding. 
We've got one more segment to go, and we are going to turn on the 2024 Draft Spotlight, get to know another player who is eligible for the upcoming NHL Draft, saw some preseason rankings that had Carson Wetch of the Calgary Hitman inside the first round. Central Scouting's rankings gave him a B, so more of a second-round pick. Definitely somebody you need to know, though, if you are looking ahead to the upcoming draft. So we'll do that. Carson Wetch of the Calgary Hitman is going to join me next, courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Dreisaitl pushes it past Honka. Toad Ragan, he scores, completing the hat-trick. Holy Hatterwood a night for the Deutschland Angler. Hey, I'm Leon Dreisaitl. I'm playing for the Prince Albert Raiders, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Trevor is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Wilhawk beef jerky. Go Wilhawk! Go Wilhawk! Everybody came! Wilhawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Wilhawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! Continuing on with this week's episode of The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Of course, a reminder that the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada, but if you're in the Edmonton area, you can get it in Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall, and of course their website is wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, my next guest is in Alberta, and he will be playing in Edmonton this weekend, but a home-and-home home between the Calgary Hitmen and the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, highlights uh, this weekend's action in the WHL. As we turn on the 2024 Draft Spotlight and get to know Carson Wetch of the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, Carson, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to get a chance to speak with you right now, and I know it's an exciting time. It's always great, Battle of Alberta. I guess at the WHL level, there's like five Battles of Alberta, though, aren't there? You never get tired of playing the uh, the in-province rivals. Oh, definitely. Love to have it. A lot of good competition. A little bit of rivalry here and there. Yeah, it's always uh, lots of teams to, to get up for, for sure. And really, you look at the standings, the the parity in the WHL this, this year, it's pretty exceptional. Uh, there's not a lot separating... You know, where you guys are in the standings to, to top spot in the standings, you really can't take a night off in the WHL this season. No, we definitely can. And I, I believe that we should be in that top spot this year. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the way the team is playing uh, right now, sitting with a record of uh, seven, eight, and two. Uh, that would be just under 500 uh, when it comes to winning percentage, but playing some pretty good hockey here as of late. You've won five of your last 10. Do you feel a bit of a, a turnaround for the Hitman? I know it was a slow start, but you've uh, slowly started to climb the standings. Yeah, definitely. No, we we started off slow, but I feel the last last six games we really showed our true self, and we're starting to put wins up on the board. We're starting to come together more collectively, and I guess the game's just clicking for everyone. What's changed on the ice? Is is Steve Hamilton doing something? Is he has he changed the system at all, or is it more about guys playing better? 
Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. Hammy really likes to push forward a few things, and I think the guys are starting to buy into the program, starting to buy into the effort, and everything's just going well. For yourself this year, uh, eight points right now through the first 17 games of the season. Last year, you played 45 games with the Hitmen, had uh, 10 goals and 21 points. That's a pretty good rookie season in the Western Hockey League. How have you felt about uh, the start to season two? Yeah, I feel like uh, the same with the team. I feel like I've started off pretty slow, but starting to find my way, starting to get used to the hockey again, starting to get used to the pace, uh, just yeah, finding my game, trying to get more shots on net. What's the biggest difference for a guy in the second season? I know the first year, you, it, maybe it feels like you're jumping to the deep end of the pool. You're experiencing the life in the WHL for the first time and all the, the long bus trips and, and stuff like that. Is year two a little bit more, I don't want to say relaxed, but there's no surprises in year two. So do you feel a little bit more comfortable? Uh, you never really feel fully comfortable. I would say the biggest challenge would be consistently coming in night in, night out and doing what you can do best and yeah, just doing that on the whole 68-game basis is pretty hard to do. Consistency, man, that is such a, a key for a player your age at this level. How do you do that? How do you make sure that you're bringing the same effort and the same performance a night after night? Definitely has a lot to do with routine. I mean, hmm. when you have a routine, you feel, you feel very comfortable. So doing the same things over and over again and making sure that your body or whatever is fully ready to go for every game and you know, we have a little ice after practice, you know, work on some things you got to work on. Carson Wetch is my guest, a forward with the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, speaking of forwards, have your line mates been the same couple of guys for the most part all year, or has that changed a lot? Is that one of the things that Hammy has done to, to tinker with? No, I, I, I bounce around a few lines. All my lines have been great, but I started off playing with Sean Chagall and Oliver Talk, and then Bumped around, started playing with David Azinski and Tyson Greenway, and now I'm with Chase Allen and Keith Sausage. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like you're a utility guy. Hammy can put you pretty much anywhere in the lineup with anybody else uh, in the lineup. Uh, and that versatility, that's that's got to be a positive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to take it that way. I feel like I can play up, down the lineup. And just like whatever Hammy has in plan for me for what role he wants, I, I can play that role for him. Is it a challenge in some regard, though, to find chemistry if if your line mates are changing? Uh, it's it's not too hard. I mean, you just got to have good communication with them on the bench and make sure you're just staying positive with them at all times. And the passing will come and the collectivity will come, too. Interesting. Uh, Carson, uh, take me back to the Bantam draft. And uh, you didn't have to wait long on, on uh, draft day for yourself back in 2021. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that the, the, the draft year where it was in December instead of spring? Yeah, I was in December because of COVID. All right. In a u normal year, some guys might be at home or at school. Uh, what was draft day like for you? Yeah, I was I was sitting at home. I was just getting ready to go to go to practice for the Burnaby Winter Club. So I was sitting at home with my mom and dad watching the watching the first round. And you didn't have to wait long. Like I said, twelfth overall pick. <laughs> uh, what were your initial reaction to seeing your name next to Calgary? I, in, pretty good chance you're you're gonna have to move away from home unless it was the Giants that end up uh, being the the team that drafts you uh, but knowing that you'd be moving out of province uh, and and uh, going to Calgary what was your first thoughts I was just I just was ready to play whenever they wanted to call me up I just wanted to go and play and Calgary's amazing city loving it here even now like everything about it's the best and I wish I could tell my younger self that that everything was going to be amazing and we got good things to look forward to 
pretty cool. I mean, listen, any any team in the WHL, it's still the Western Hockey League, but to play in Calgary in a big city, in a building where you might be crossing paths with uh, the NHL club every once in a while, that's a different level of excitement for a player, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Getting to see guys like Backlund or Huberto just walking down the halls and Sometimes they give you a little nod, sometimes they ignore you, but you, even just seeing them walk down the halls is pretty amazing. The regular audience will know about you already because you're. this is a, a junior and college hockey show, but there'll be some casual NHL fans who will tune into this because you're a, a highly touted prospect for the NHL draft. They might not care about junior hockey at all, those people that are listening right now. <laughs> um, so let's get some background, if you don't mind. You mentioned Burnaby. That's where you're born and raised? No, I'm actually born and raised in uh, North Vancouver, British Columbia. I just played uh, Burnaby for my uh, last year of Bantam and my first year of Midget. All right, thanks for that a correction uh, on my part. Um, how old were you when you first started playing uh, hockey? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I think I was around three years old. I started off at North Shore Winter Club, which is in North Vancouver. Who got you started? Who got you interested in playing? It, it was a mix between my dad and my brother. My brother played some hockey growing up, too, and my my dad never never really got the chance to play, but he lo- always loved the sport. Older brother? Yeah, older brother. So I get it. I was a younger brother, too, so I just wanted to do whatever my older brother was doing. So if he was playing hockey, I exactly. wanted to play hockey. Same thing for you? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Same. Uh, have you always been a forward, Carson? Yeah, that's been like my preferred position, but a couple years of spring under the coach John Calvano, I played some uh, defense, actually. Did you ever have a chance to, to put the pads on? I know a lot of guys will tell me that maybe when they're you know seven years old or something, their team didn't have a full-time goalie, so everybody had to take their turn. Did you have a night like that? Yeah, yeah, I had a couple nights like that. We didn't have a full-time goalie, so I'd strap on the pads and uh, keep the player bucket on. <laughs> How did it go? Uh, I'm not a goalie, so... <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like the honesty. That's that's awesome. Um, all right. Well, tell me about uh, getting your first camp and your first taste of the WHL. And and uh, was it in at all intimidating uh, to to go into you know into the Saddle Dome and and uh, start your WHL career that way? Yeah, camp camp wasn't uh, intimidating at first, but lucky enough, I actually got called up for the last ten days of the season before that. So hmm. I knew a couple of the guys came into camp, had a great time, and lucky made the roster and got to play and the foul dome still scares me from time to time <laughs> with the amount of fans we get well that's funny uh the uh again for the audience that might not be familiar with you haven't watched the hitman play i finally get to see you in person this season uh, i saw you last year with the hitman as well but uh, the home and home this weekend against the oil kings will get be my first opportunity to watch it live for those who have never seen you play can you give us a, a bit of a self-scouting report? What should they expect from you on a nightly basis? Yeah, I'm a, I would consider myself a versatile power forward. I can play up and down the lineup. Whatever role is given to me, I can play. So you might see some grit out of me. You might see some skill out of me. Like that. I, also, I also love to get in the mix and cause some chaos, get into guys' heads. Well, I like that. You, you play that pest sort of style. You listen, at 6'2", 185 pounds, I don't know if that is – up to date or not? What are you at right now? Six one one ninety. So okay, a little pesky. A pesky. Well, I like that. I I watched the game between uh, you guys and the the Seattle Thunderbirds this year, and you got in a little bit of a, a tussle at the end of that game. Uh, I know you. I think you were objecting to a, a maybe a bit of a hit from behind uh, Owen Boucher, and 
You, you drop them twice in that scrap, and you don't see that very often. I don't like to glorify fighting necessarily. I don't know that you consider yourself a fighter, but you did fight, and it, and it worked out pretty well for you. How do you feel about it? Yeah, yeah, the fight was good. I mean, I'm not going around the ice and I'm looking for fights, but if something like that's like necessary, then I will drop the drop the gloves and you know get the team going or defend one of my teammates or stand up for myself. Yeah, 22 penalty minutes this year, so it's not like you're uh, running around. You're not a goon or something like that by any stretch of the imagination. But playing with a physical edge and and some grit, you, you, that's that's just a comfortable way of playing the game for you. That's something you like to do. Yeah, yeah. Physicality kind of gets me going in early in the game. Going out there, my first shift, either getting a shot or a net, or throwing a throwing a body. That that always gets me going. So that physical game is kind of familiar, and it's a uh, good to go back to and get me in my zone. Carson Wetch is my guest. He's a forward with the Calgary Hitmen, draft eligible player uh, this year for the NHL draft. Uh, Central Scouting, uh, their initial ranking came out, gave you a B rating. Uh, I don't know if you're a guy who pays much attention to the draft or, or not or the rankings. I know some guys tell me they don't want to think about it. They don't want it to be a distraction. Uh, but there are, it seems like a growing number of players who tell me they want to know who has them ranked where because they use that as motivation. What about for you, Carson? I just like to look at the games that we have ahead and just play my game and try to bring my best every night. I don't really pay attention to those things. I just want to play hockey, play the game I love every day. Uh, all right, so when you're looking ahead to this weekend's matchup with the Edmonton Oil Kings, they're a little bit below you in the standings, but uh, what do you uh, what do you expect from them, and, and how do you come out ahead in those two games? Yeah, you never know in the Western League. Games games can go either way every time, so I feel we just got to come in, play our best game, bring our full effort, and could be a good four-point weekend for us. Carson, what do you like to do away from hockey? It, it can't be hockey 24 hours a day for... 12 months of the year so when you're not training for hockey or or on the ice what do you like to do to get away from it uh i love to hike with my mom actually we do the grouse grind in north vancouver it's it's a it's a good track it's about 45 minutes to an hour but the the incline is very steep but yeah it's a it's a great exercise and once you get to the top the view and the feeling of getting up there and doing all that hard work is just it's an amazing feeling well i've heard of grouse mountain that's that's where it is yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, now I've never been there, but is is that a that's a that's a walking hike? That's a walking trail. That's not something you're jogging up and down. There are some people that can actually jog it, but no, I, I'm not. I'm not jogging up that thing. I, that's a that's a walking one for me and my mom. All right, perfect. That's nice though that you do that with your mom like that. You guys have a your tight knit family. Yes, definitely. Mom, dad, and older brother. That's great. Uh, any other sports that you play in the off season or things that you do to to relax? Yeah, I, I try to golf from time to time with my dad as as much as I can. Uh, I know when I get golfers on, I, I ask them. Well, first off, are you do you consider yourself a good golfer? And your favorite course to play? What would that be? Uh, I like to consider consider myself a pretty good golfer. I think some of my teammates would disagree with that, but <laughs> yeah, my my favorite course to play would be just one that's like five minutes from my house. It's called uh, Northland. Great track, very hard though, so it's, it works my game a little bit. All right. Uh, what number are you wearing this year, and th- is there any significance to uh, the number that you chose? No, I wore number 16 my first year Bantam, and I just had a good year, and so I, I've, I've just started to wear the number ever since then. All right, so no, no special significance to it. What do the guys call you? It's funny, nicknames can be really creative, or they could be not very creative at all. Like, are you wetchy or something like that, or what do the guys call you? 
Yeah, yeah some of the guys call me Wetchy or uh, Wetchman. Favorite team growing up? You're a, a, a Vancouver-ish area type of guy. I don't want to assume that the Canucks were your team. Maybe you're a Flames fan now or, or something like that. Uh, who was your team growing up? No, definitely the Vancouver Canucks. Watching Henrik and Daniel Sedin, that was, that was something to watch when I was little. It was great atmosphere back then, too. Have the Flames started to rub off on you, or do you feel like you're kind of living behind enemy lines right now while you're down in Calgary? <laughs> No, yeah. If, if the Canucks aren't in town, they're rubbing off on me. I, I love to go to a few Flames game here and there. Well, listen, Carson, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, hey, you know what? Before I let you go, uh, you got a teammate in Carter Yakinchuk who's uh, really highly touted for the draft as well. You get to play with them. You get to practice against them every day. Give me a, a scouting report on him. Yeah, he's an amazing off, offensive defenseman. He can. He really knows how to score. I mean. Not many guys like him can do it like that. And, he, yeah, he's definitely a player to watch. Uh, this has been terrific, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, best luck the rest of the way this uh, this season. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. That was Carson Wetch of the Calgary Hitmen, who actually I lied. I did see him once live earlier this year. Uh, it was uh, preseason. Uh, the uh, Oil Kings hosting the Hitmen at the uh, Enoch Community Center. That was the game. Gavin Hodnett got hurt in, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I liked him that night, and I like that style of player. To me, he reminds me a bit of, you know, at least he plays with the mentality similar to Ridley Gregg when he was in the league. Last year, Kalen Lind, that type of player who can hurt you both ways. Uh, offensively, he's going to be a guy who puts up points. I, I don't think the points have started clicking for him just yet this season. But if he's not producing, he's doing other things to contribute. He's playing physical. He's getting under the skin of the opposition, drawing penalties. And I like that kind of player. So for me, Carson Wetch is someone that uh, I've had on my list uh, to not just get for the show, but to keep an eye on this season. And I think the lack of production, you know, it's not like he has 20 points. Defenseman Carter Yakimchuk is having a heck of a season offensively. Wetch's numbers aren't that way, so I think his stock has probably dropped a little bit. And if uh, those numbers don't start adding up for him, maybe he falls like to third or fourth round. But I think as his uh, WHL career advances, he's going to really round into a a pretty intriguing player. My opinion. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Appreciate all four of the guests that you heard from uh, today. We started off with uh, Mike Farwell, the voice of the Kitchener Rangers. Then we went to uh, the BCHL, Brian Weeb from BCHL Network, and Todd Maluski of USCHO, who covers Wisconsin Badgers. And here just now, obviously, with Carson Wetch. Also appreciate everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. You can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode. If you're driving around in your car right now and you're listening to Edmonton Sports Talk Saturdays at noon or Mondays at 8 p.m., and you're thinking, man, I could hear these uh, these interviews individually two, three, four days before? Yes, you can. Getting advanced access like that isn't free. That's where the uh, subscription comes in. It's a couple bucks a month. You get a discount if you do it on an annual basis. But that's all done securely through PayPal and Patreon. I don't see your credit card numbers or anything like that. But if you enjoy the show and you think there's value there, then I would appreciate the support. I, I really can't do the show without the support of listeners like you who uh, are patrons. It's a niche program. I understand that. But if you're tuning in, you're listening right now, then you're my audience. Locally, the Oil Kings are in action for a couple of games this weekend. The home and home against those very same Calgary hitmen. It's been a tough go for Edmonton so far this season. A lot of the high-end 
teams in the WHL have have been on their schedule, and I don't. I mean, you look at where they are in the standings, and there isn't an easy opponent for Edmonton. But you know, Calgary is not where Portland and Moose Jaw and Saskatoon and Lethbridge are in the standings, and that's who Edmonton has been playing a lot of this season. Teams like that. So we'll see. Is this the start of a, a potential turnaround for Edmonton? They did get wins against Moose Jaw and Portland last week. See if they can build from those and have success against the Hitmen. Next week on the show, I have at least one guest lined up, Elaine Shirkleff, who covers the American Hockey League. She's based in the Cleveland area, so I imagine we'll start with the Cleveland Monsters, but uh, we'll branch out from there. If there are guests that you would like me to have on the show, feel free to drop me a note at TPS underscore Guy, and I'll do what I can to have someone on for you. But with that, I hope that you have a chance to get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Guy Flaming. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. See ya.